I'm Laura Max Rose, mother of two, and you're listening to Look Ma No Hands, my candid dispatches from the front lines of motherhood. I ask the real, tough, honest questions on motherhood-related topics that we're all wanting to know more about, in hopes it will make everyone's journey fulfilling, easier, and more joyful. If you're not a mom, welcome. I want you to know how happy I am that you're listening and that these topics can be applied to any season of life. I'm grateful you're along for the ride. Welcome back to Look Ma No Hands. I am your host, Laura Max Rose. And um, I have to tell you, the guest that we have on today, Kylie Mitchell. Kylie, welcome to the show. Hey, Laura. Thanks for having me. Kylie, I'm so excited to have you on. You're you're a registered dietitian. Um, You have your own um, outpatient private practice for nutrition counseling called I'ma Eat That Nutrition Counseling. The questions that I get the most often from moms about parenting center around food. Um, it's either the frustrated mom trying to feed their toddler and not knowing um, not knowing how to do it right. I'm so worried my kids aren't getting the nutrition they need, or I feel like I'm always hounding them at dinner time and meal times are stressing me out. I have been that mom many times before, um, and also the parents of the older children. You know, how do we? support our kids and encourage them to eat in a way that's supporting their body and supporting their health without having them develop a complex um, about it. This is probably my most requested topic. So when I was introduced to you by a friend of mine, um, a former teacher at my daughter's school, I saw that actually a lot of my friends are following you on Instagram and getting your guidance. Your Instagram handle is at I'm a eat that. I love following you. Um, I've loved just hearing and reading your advice as someone who's recovered from, been an eating disorder recovery yourself. Um, I found it so validating uh, some of the, some of the guidance that you give parents around really letting their kids learn what feels good at, to eat and what they don't want to eat and letting them really lead the way. And it took so much pressure off of me as a parent. I spent so many nights sitting with my daughter's um, well, the one, the older one, my, my youngest loves food, but the older one is a really picky eater. And I could hear these words coming out of my mouth, you know, like you have to have five more bites before we go watch this movie or before we go do something else. And, um, it was like, that was what I was taught. And that was the way that I was raised. And that's the way so many of us are raised. Like my husband talks about how he had to earn his way into the clean plate club before Mm -hmm. he got to go do something else after dinner. And it really teaches us not to trust our natural instincts of being full. Um, So that wasn't what I wanted to be doing anymore. But at the same time, I'm a parent who wants my kid to get the nutrition that she needs. So um, when I discovered you, I was super excited to to read that someone who's been through everything that you've been through um, validated my choice, I guess, to really take a step back and let my kid discover what it is that she wants. You know, she's just fine without me forcing stuff down her throat. Um, and I'm really excited to hear what you have to say on the show today. So I'd love to start with your story. Um, you've recovered from an eating disorder yourself, and now you go on to help others do the same. And I would love to hear what that journey has been like for you. Yeah, um, I struggled with the eating disorder starting in high school. Um, eating disorders are complicated, like as to why they develop their, you know, multifaceted, the reasons why someone ends up with the eating disorder, the analogy that's most often given um, is that like genetics load the gun and then the environment pulls the trigger for you to develop an eating disorder. So there's something in your genetics that predisposes you to have an eating disorder. And then 
some traumatic, stressful event in your life happens, um, and then you end up having an eating disorder. I wouldn't say it's always like a traumatic event that happens just living in a culture that is very focused on um, thinness and prefers thinness um, and is very encouraging for, for dieting um, in pursuit of a certain body size can be enough to you know, uh, catapult someone into an eating disorder. Um, dieting is one of the greatest risk factors for ending up um, with an eating disorder. And I don't think I've ever met a woman who hasn't dieted. Um, actually, one of my friends, I feel like she escaped everything. And I don't really understand how but sometimes I try to like pick <laughs> apart her childhood, because I'm like, how can I repeat this with my children? Um, but I ended up with the eating disorder. One of the big traumatic things that happened. My mom got really sick when I was about to go into my um, sophomore year of high school. Um, and she ended up in a coma and she had a staph infection. And just as a 14 year old, like you don't know how to cope with that. And dieting seemed like a really good way to, you know, make sense of what was going on and find a way to cope. And so um, that was really the beginning of everything. Um, with my eating disorder, my parents, my mom did recover and she's fine. Like there's multiple brain surgeries and doctors telling us like their words were like, she will be a vegetable. She will never be the same. And like, she's a very functioning, normal human today, um, which is crazy. So just like so traumatic. And then it's like, everything's fine all of a sudden, but of course you're not fine. You just went through this huge event. Um, And so uh, like my mom was very good about like knowing something was going on and she got me into therapy. Um, But just being a 14 year old, you're just like angsty. And I was just very, I wouldn't say immature. I think I was just a 14 year old. I definitely was not a mature 14 year old. Um, And so therapy was just not very helpful for me. I was not able to like open up and get any help with that. And so that just kind of fell to the wayside. We did see a dietitian during that time and she was Um, just super problematic, uh, had me like counting carbs, which is not what you do in eating disorder recovery. Um, I would say like that's unethical and malpractice to um, recommend that to someone who's struggling with the eating disorder. So I struggled in high school and then all through college, I just stopped getting help and I was just pretty much like living in the eating disorder. They can call it like functional Um, anorexia or functional bulimia. My presentation in the eating disorder was exercise type bulimia. So I would eat and then have to like um, compensate via exercise for the food I ate. And that's a very normal thing in our culture to eat something and then like make a joke about like, I need to go exercise it off now. Um, And that is like the diagnostic criteria for an eating disorder. And I don't feel like a lot of people Um, understand that. And so that is what my life looked like for about eight years. Um, I met my husband in high school, and we went to different colleges. And so I feel like I could kind of hide the eating disorder that whole time. Um, When I was around him, when I saw him on breaks, and during the summer, like I could just act very free with food, but then how I was compensating with like, exercise that was so rigid that I hated, um, and just like so excessive and so forced. Um, it was just not a very enjoyable life and it just wasn't a good way to manage my anxiety. And so then, um, after college, we got married, my husband and I, and I just hit this breaking point of like, I don't want to be enslaved by this anymore. Like I want to be able to like sleep in with my husband and not have to get up and run. Um, I want to be able to like 
you know, have cinnamon rolls in the morning and not even think about it or have it like plague my mind. Um, just how I was interacting with food was, was so distressing. And so I, at this time was in school to become an eating disorder dietitian. And I ended up with some just awesome mentors um, along the way. I, uh, well, I'll go back a little bit. I never thought I would work in eating disorders. Just at some point I had a rotation in eating disorders and I was like, this is awesome, but I don't think I'll ever be healthy enough to do this. And that's when I ended up finding these mentors who were just like so supportive and so encouraging of me. Um, and I was able to st- to start my recovery process um, with their support and their guidance um, and actually getting into therapy again and getting to like the root issues of like why my eating disorder was there and why I constantly would run to it for comfort. Um, and then over about a, a seven year period, um, I recovered the average recovery time for me eating disorder is five to seven years. I would say I took all of that to get to fully recovered. Um, and then, you know, as a surprise to me, like now I work with eating disorders. Um, I have an outpatient private practice and I really love it. Um, it's so great to get to do, you know, just such meaningful work and to help people, um, break free from the eating disorder so they can like live their life in a joyful way. Um, and so that, that is me. Um, yeah. Well, you talked about how it's absolutely an incredible story and you talked about how you were exercising, you were an exercise bulimic essentially, you know, you weren't throwing up your food, but you were really putting yourself through the ringer physically to burn off the calories that you ate during the day. Mm-hmm. And something that I've found, you know, as someone who's been through recovery myself, not in, not eating disorder recovery, but emotional recovery, mm-hmm. um, that once we enter, once we get onto um, a path of healing, it's very difficult to look back at the way that we treated ourselves and imagine ever doing that again. It's like we could be so mean and and horrible to ourselves. And it's so unpalatable once we get space from that to imagine ever going back. You know, when you talked about, I just can't stay like in this prison, basically, I can't remember exactly how you put it um, anymore. I also find that having my own children was huge, was hugely groundbreaking for me because um, as much as I had let go of a lot of the things I did to keep myself in this perfect box, um, looking at my children really begged the question, you know, what am I doing? <clears throat> what am I doing to myself that I would never do to them? Um, how, what are the ways in which I'm treating myself that I would just be devastated if they were to treat themselves this way? Um, and I think a lot of us, and that's why we have so many questions about food when we have children is we don't want our kids to go through what we've gone through, especially as women with diet culture. You know, we can talk all day about body positivity and how the world has changed, but come on. Like, we're still seeing the same type of imagery on the covers of magazines. We're still under the same types of pressure, perhaps even more so. I mean, social media, Instagram, this idea of perfection and the way that we look. Um, and really examining just some of my own thoughts and saying, wow, you know, if my children ever felt any of this pressure, um, to look perfect in this way, I would just be devastated. So that's where I think a lot of parents come to you, um, and ask for your guidance and come to me and ask me to interview somebody like you, um, because they want to just reinforce guidelines, um, for their kids that will hopefully help them go down, um, a 
more loving path. So what are some of the, we'll just do like some role playing here. Um, a mom comes to you and perhaps they, let's start with a picky eater since I have one of those. Um, their kid just doesn't really want to eat anything besides donuts, um, and macaroni and cheese, which is like, I feel like 90% of children, I'm a little biased, but, um, that's at least what I tell myself. And they're just really pushing for more fruits and vegetables, but trying not to be overbearing. What are some of the, what, what's some of the guidance you would give a parent in that situation? Yeah. So, um, great question. I'd also start by saying like what you were saying before, I totally agree. Like, I don't want to do anything that is going to make it harder for my girls to be in their natural body size. Mm. And so I I love what you're saying, like thinking through, like you don't, you know, want your children to have to pursue these unrealistic beauty ideals. And I I so agree. With with that, I want to just pause and talk about natural body size because Mm -hmm. we often like subconsciously just think that the goal is to have children who look the way we think they should, um, whatever we think healthy is, but really we all like that's not the case for everyone. Um, and you talk a lot about that. Yeah. You know, before I worked as an eating disorder clinician, I definitely um, could have biases against people in larger bodies. Um, I use the term fat. I think fat is a descriptor, just like you would say a person is tall or short. You would say a person is tall or thin, but there's so much mm. like baggage around that word fat that I don't just like throwing it out because people can be like hurt or offended that I'm like, um, you know, discriminating or saying something negative, but I I view it as a descriptor because as I've worked with people of different body sizes and I see how they move their body, I see the food they eat, um, I see them taking care of themselves well, and some people end up fat. Some people end up in larger bodies um, just genetically. Like that is how they are supposed to be. And there are like conditions that that play into this for sure. Um, but not always, like just some people end up fat and to, to judge a person for that, I, I feel like, um, is very unfair. And so, you know, if my husband and I have talked about this, like if our girls end up fat, like they are still like worthy of love and care. Um, it's not my job to force a certain body size on them. Um, my goal in feeding them is for them to be able to self-regulate their intake when they're hungry, they eat, when they're full, they stop. Um, and that, that is something I want for them. I want their relationship with food to be peaceful. I want them to know how to take care of their body well, but I don't believe that when we take care of ourselves, we end up thin. Um, some people do for sure. Some people do. And that, that is great. I'm not against thinness at all, but I'm just for, taking care of yourself. I'm for the presence of health promoting behaviors, um, regardless of the body size you end up. And so well, like that's that, something that I, that's something that I just love about you. Um, and following you, especially on Instagram, you'll be like, Hey, I'm like a Chick-fil-A and this is what I wanted to eat today. And it's making me feel good. And it's making, it's like, we all think that if we were to be, you know, in perfect health, we would never have, um, like just a meal that we really love that doesn't necessarily like, isn't necessarily a perfectly healthy meal, but that's not what it's about. It's about living our lives um, and letting ourselves, you know, letting ourselves feel nourished in in so many different ways. There's just not, not just like one way to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So before I take all the attention off of the big question that I always get, I'll go back to that um, (laughs) and ask you again, um, what, what is some of the guidance you give parents? I guess we'll start, we'll start with the picky eater. Yeah. Um, who are dealing with that? 
the first like little caveat I would give, there is something called ARFID, avoidant restrictive food intake behavior. Um, I wouldn't say all kids have it, but there are some kids who would be classified as like extreme picky eaters. And now have learned of this kind of like fourth eating disorder in like um, the lineup of anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, and then now ARFID. And so those kids and adults or adults with ARFID as well, um, you know, they sometimes will end up having like, or they have some sensory issues that makes eating certain foods very difficult for them. And so like sometimes there are extreme picky eaters and now we have a a diagnosable term for it called ARFID, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. Mm. Um, Other kids, I think kids, when we, I'm not like against labels, but like saying they're picky eaters, like when those comments have been directed towards like my girls, um, I've just noticed that like, I don't think they're picky. I think they're just learning to eat. Um, I think they're learning like their preferences um, and things like that. But as far as like actionable things, let me give you those. Um, We at our table with our girls, if we have something they are not familiar with. um, So if it's a chicken parmesan and they've never seen that before, we always make sure to offer something they are familiar, familiar with, something that they like and they're comfortable eating for us that's usually um milk and then it could be probably some kind of carby thing like you mentioned mac and cheese or bread just something i know they like and they will feel comfortable eating um and what we do and there's different ways to do this but like i will plate their plate with like um, the chicken parmesan then the food they are comfortable with and then maybe a side but like there's no requirement to taste or eat um any of it. Like I believe wow. in my daughter's ability to self-regulate. Um, my husband I doesn't love that because like if you, a lot of like a lot of expert advice is like, all they have to do is try everything, but they don't have to eat it. But you're saying like, no, they don't even need to try it. It's just there and they get to decide what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, for me, I like keeping a very low pressure environment um, at the dinner table. And so I think it would kind I of love that. anxiety for me to say, like, you have to try it. Um, like last night, an example, we had Tex-Mex and there was like a giant like bowl of queso on the table. And so like our two and a half year old Joanna was like dipping chips and just like eating the chips. And then she decided to like take a piece of chicken and dip the chicken into the queso and eat it. And like, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like I do a little victory party anytime like a vegetable is eaten or anytime a protein is eaten. I'm like, <laughs> yes, of course. Because, oh, like, I, guess I try not to stare. I'm just like, know, okay, I'm not going to look. Yeah. I'm just like going to let this happen. Yeah. I'll hit my husband on the table and be like, oh my gosh, like it's yeah. working. Um, but I would say like always offering something they're familiar with is very important. Um I also follow like Ellen Satter's division of responsibility, which you might've heard about. Um, The easiest way to view that is like, I provide, they decide. And so I Mm. I provide the food and then they can decide what they want to eat. Now within that, I'm always offering something they're familiar with because I don't want it to be a battle. Um, And I want it to be a low anxiety environment where they can make the choice. Um, So Ellen Satter and her division of responsibility, she talks about like the parent's role versus the children's role. And so the parent's role is to decide when and what the kids are eating. So you get you get to choose the food they're having. You don't have to serve fruit snacks for every snack or every meal. Um, and then you decide when. So setting up 
because kids are good with schedules and structure and consistency. I, I hate, I rebel against structure. I hate consistency. I hate schedules. So this has been like such a learning thing for me. Um, but just to have like consistent meal times. Wait, and you have hold on. I need to know more about this. Back up. <laughs> okay. Hold on. So you don't like structures and consistency. I don't like feeling controlled. And so therefore, I think that goes into me working for myself. I've talked to my husband about maybe I'll work for someone else someday. He's like, I don't think you could handle it. <laughs> because like, so, Well, I, I'm the same way. Like I've always worked for myself and I don't like working for other people. Structures and consistency has been my saving grace with children. I thought this is why I'm asking you this question. Because then we had the lockdown, the quarantine, and like there was no, I mean, oh my God, there's like no way to really structure a day without losing your mind, in my opinion. I mean, it just like wasn't working for us. And, um, you know, our kids are back in school now. And the first thing, my daughter was home for two months watching more TV than I have ever, I mean, an amount of TV that would have made me in my first life just like think that I was going to just die of, of, discomfort. Like I couldn't. And her teacher, the first thing she said after she'd been in school for a week was like, what did you guys do? Like, she's just so, she's just matured so much. She's so polite. She's so like just patient and she's just completely blossomed. And I'm like, I literally let go of everything. And I think honestly, she's just watched me. Well, I think she's just grown up a little bit because she's growing up. But um, I think this lack of pressure in our household has really served her. And I never would have known that. So I'm fascinated by people who don't immediately go for all the structure because i that's where I definitely have been. And I'm learning now that we're kind of phasing back into life to, you know, incorporate what I learned in, in mm. the quarantine that, you know, we don't have to be that structured all the time. And mm-hmm. it actually benefits everyone not to be. Yeah. Um, I would say... I don't fully understand all the reasons why I hate structure and routine. (laughs) I don't think it's good always. I think it's something, um, a bit of stubbornness and not something I can fully lean into. Um, I don't think our family would run well without, you know, the structure and the consistency that like I have, you know, spent time (laughs) trying to put in. Um, I, I view it more as like a flow through our day. Like, we, we do have like some, cause kids do, I hear kids do well with like predictability. Um, and that that's hard for me, but like having a flow of like, we have breakfast and we go outside for a bit, then we have TV time, then we do naps, like that, the that rhythm. all the rhythm. Yeah. Exactly. Like I like viewing it as a rhythm that really works well for me. And so with like the meals and snacks throughout the day, it's, it's a rhythm. I, I would use that word again. Like we have um, for our kids and, and this changes, my oldest is two and a half. My youngest is 11 months. So, um, I'm sure this will shift as they get older, but right now we do three meals a day and two snacks. Um, so it's meal, snack, meal, snack, meal. Um, after dinner, we don't allow any snacks just because I do want her to learn that if she's hungry, like dinner is what we're having. Um, we we don't need she, she doesn't need another snack after because like we offer a wide variety of foods um, throughout the day. And I just want her to know that like, like that's when we fill up, like that's when we find satisfaction and fullness with food. 
um, after dinner, she can always have milk or hot chocolate. Like that's something, this is unique for each family. You could just decide what you're okay with. But um, for us, like that's always an option. And so like sometimes she will like be asking for like fruit snacks or a banana or yogurt after dinner. And I'll just be like, no, like you can have milk or hot chocolate. And she's like, okay, milk. And so like she's able to make that choice. But like, as far as like, um, like structure and kind of, uh, what she expects, like that is something she is learning to expect that we, we don't have a snack afterwards. Cause I think that could lead to her just like not having dinner if she doesn't like it and having a snack, um, afterwards instead. And I, I don't want to be a short order cook. Like I, I, it's very important to me that my kids are able to eat what I cook. Um, as much as I can encourage that, like I said, we're always offering something they're familiar with, but my job is just to expose them to a wide variety of foods. It's their job if they want to eat them or not. And like, this can be so frustrating, frustrating. I made my daughter like a freaking like beautiful oatmeal bowl thing yesterday. And like, oh, like the worst. Yeah, it was so frustrating. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Um, because I was like <laughs> noticing like some stuff going on like with her poop. And I was like, she, she needs some more fiber. Like I'm going to think of like something that she would enjoy eating. And I was like, this is great. She like has eaten this before. And then like, no, not interested in any of it. And like, I hear that. That's so frustrating when that happens. But like, that's okay. Like, it's just my job to provide. Like she is able to decide if she wants it and how much. So the other part of Ellen Satter's division of responsibility, um, the, the kid's role is to decide like how much and if, if they want the food and how much of the food that they want. Yes. I like that a lot. I think that's really wonderful. And I think, um, you know, that, that, that vignette of you like making this meal um, that your kid doesn't want um, and spending all of your time on it, um, I had a moment like that when this quarantine started, which I think I've discussed on this podcast. It wasn't around food, but I had gone and bought all these craft activities at Walmart. And I was mm-hmm. just convinced that these craft ideas were going to save me and make my week so great. And we're going to have all this structure and like, we're going to have such a better week this week. And almost the second I got home with like the first craft, my daughter wasn't into it. And I just like lost it. Um, I, I couldn't handle that. She didn't want what I had put together for her. And I immediately saw myself losing it. Like, this is not about her. (laughs) This is about you and your expectations. And I think like the only other, the other times that I've had that experience, it's all been around food. It's like, I have this idea. I'm going to make her a smoothie that looks like ice cream and she's going to eat it. And then like the big explosion happens when it doesn't go that way. Um, And I think it's so important for us to like my favorite, one of my favorite guests, parenting coach, Randy Rubenstein always talks about Q-tip, like quit taking it personally. Mm, Um, I probably repeat like Q-tip, Q-tip, Q-tip in my head so many times during meals. And sometimes I just don't even go into making the really elaborate thing because I've learned from doing it so many times that it doesn't really go nearly as well as I think it's going to. Mm -hmm. Um, But just remembering that. So let's go on the other side of the spectrum and maybe I guess into an older age bracket. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't even, I mean... Our teen years are a very sensitive time anyway. Um, and I know that for me, um, you know, the weight gain that comes with your hormones changing is almost standard across the board. Yeah. Um, how many things I heard about that weight gain being bad um, at that age and needing to do something about it and um, how destructive that was for me. Um, and, you know, I look back and I was eating, I'd come home from school and eat like a full sleeve of Oreo cookies. There were a lot of things that I was doing that were contributing to what was going on. 
Um, but I think about that happening with my own daughter and like, there's not a shot in hell. I'm ever going to correct her when she's eating a sleeve of Oreo cookies. Cause I know how it felt to yeah. have it done for me. But then there's the question, you know, what do we do in that situation? We have teenagers, they're becoming adults. Um, are there any pieces of guidance or wisdom that you have for a parent in that situation? Who's trying to be supportive. Um, but doesn't really know how to do that without creating a much larger problem. Yeah. Um, I would say first off, like puberty is tough between the ages of like nine and 11, 12, there is on average about like a 40 pound, 40 pound weight gain that happens. Like this is very significant. And like in a culture that loves thinness, that Mm. feels terrifying to a kid. And it's so it's terrifying. And, and some of the kids yeah. don't, um, some of the kids don't gain as much weight or they don't gain it as fast. I remember being like in this group of friends and we were all ballet dancers and that was just like, Oh, that was gut wrenching because I was gaining it more quickly. Mm. And I had these friends who were still staying in like their skinny ballerina bodies. And I even remember like one of my friend's mom saying like, I'll call her Allison. Um, so <laughs> things anonymous here, but you know, Allison is still a double zero in jeans. Can you believe yeah. it? Can you believe it? And I mm-hmm. was like, you know, getting bigger and bigger. And I was like, what can I do to still be a double zero? Because that's what I should be. And I, I remember like initially thinking that getting bigger was such a good thing. Like I was so excited to be able to wear the clothes in the junior section. And um, it only dawned on me that this wasn't a good thing when some of my friends weren't gaining as much weight as I was. And their moms were just saying, like, isn't this amazing, you know, Mm. that Allison is still a double zero. There's so much toxicity. I mean, we can control what we do in our own homes, but there's going to be other parents, other people out there talking about weight. And and when you're going through this time period where there's a 40-pound weight gain in a society that doesn't think gaining weight is good at all, um, even when you're nine, which is just insane, um, those are the ages where we really take that on. Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, please continue. I just wanted to, you know, emphasize how destructive I think, um, our society can be during that window where it's completely natural to gain weight. Yeah. And for it to end up being like pathologized as you're doing something wrong. Um, right. if you do gain that weight, um, you know, some of this, I, okay. I, I want to give a disclaimer to this. I don't think parents cause eating disorders. I feel like in the research that has been like, put to rest that like there is a huge genetic component. Um, The environment you're in does play a role. Um, So I don't want to put like all this pressure on parents that like you have to be perfect. Um, But for me, like, it is very important in my house that like, I model that like, I am mindful to take care of my body, in spite of it ending up a size that I may be uncomfortable with. And that I never speak hate over this body. Um, That is something that will, I think, increase in importance as my girls get older. And they, you know, they see me get dressed, they see how I'm caring for myself. Um, They see me moving for the joy of moving rather for the pursuit of thinness. Um, I I think, I I hope and I pray that these will be um, just so deeply rooted in them, like these like core beliefs that like, their job is to pursue health promoting behaviors. It is not to choose a body size for them. And so what you mentioned about like the whole sleeve of Oreos, I think this goes back to modeling like healthy behaviors Um, and like, you know, modeling and teaching our kids how to cope 
without food. Um, I think emotional eating is a, a great way to care for yourself from time to time. Like I love having a cupcake when I'm happy or sad. Um, but I think we need like a wide, um, you know, a, just more a diverse, there we go, a diverse way diverse ways for us to be able to cope with the things we go through. And so like, um, even with my oldest, my two and a half year old, now I do this, like, if she is like losing her freaking mind over like wanting a fruit snack, I'm just like, it's it's not snack time right now. Like, we literally just had a fruit snack. Um, we're gonna go outside and do something else. So redirecting um, to something else, like just to show her, like, there are other ways we can care for ourselves. Um, and, you know, with a teenager who's getting home and eating the whole sleeve of Oreos, um, teens are harder, you know, like they, yeah. they're in a different place. They, uh, I just think of myself as a teen, like just pushing away from, you know, my parents and even if they wanted to help, I, I mean, my mom getting me in therapy, like wanting to help and me just being so closed off to that. Um, and so, you know, I, I think for me, it would come back to me being the best like model I can in that situation of there's multiple ways to cope. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's being in nature. Sometimes it's like processing through something. Sometimes it's calling a friend. Um, and just like having the, kiddo know that, that that is an option and then also making sure like food is coming in regularly during the day um I remember in high school like how my eating disorder presented was I just like had very little to eat in the first half of the day and then like this mentality of like quote-unquote like saving your calories till the end of the day and then when I got home from like high school I was ravenous so kind of like you were saying like eating um entire box of goldfish or whatever happens. Um, and the issue there was disordered eating. Like I wasn't eating enough. And then I ended up, um, just out of control, hungry and out of control. Hungry does not feel good. It feels very unsafe and unstable. Mm. Um, when your blood sugar is that low, like your body is smart. Like it wants to bring up your blood sugar as fast as it possibly can. And it's going to have you crave something that's like sweet and sugary that can bring up your blood sugar fast. And so, I love that. That's so that's so interesting because whenever I go like a while without eating, I want a cupcake. Like now. Nah. Yep. Yep. Um, for sure. For yeah. Sure. And our bodies are so smart, and they really do know. They know how to. They know what we need. And to just create a culture and an environment, I think, of really feeling gratitude for that and and nurturing that, I think, is um, really one way that can really help our kids have a healthier, hopefully relationship with food. But as you said, you know, parents don't create eating disorders. And I'm really working to emphasize that, especially on this show that like we do what we can, but like our kids also have their own journeys and a lot of what it comes down to. And even if, as I'm asking you these questions, what do we do when our kid comes home and wants to sleep of Oreos? It's really about our, it's really about our own behavior. I mean, there is only so much we can do. And I guess like the best thing for our children, for our family and for ourselves is to look at our own relationships with food. I mean, I, how many times have I told my daughter, she needs to eat her vegetables while I'm like sneaking pieces of cake in the pantry. So that like made me realize she probably wants cake for the same reasons you do. Cause it's delicious and telling her that like, there's something wrong with her, that that's not what she wants, that she doesn't want to eat her green beans right now when there's cookies in the pantry is crazy because you're an adult and that's what you want too. So it helped me just kind of empathize a little bit more. Um, 
with her? And um, how does she see me taking care of myself? Um, does she see me eating my dinner standing up all the time mm-hmm. um, or like rushing through it and not taking like kids really, they do not as they're told, but they do what they see. Um, and that's such a huge thing that we have control over and such a wonderful thing to have control over is the more we take care of ourselves, the more we ask ourselves these questions and really look at our own relationship with the world around us, food very much included, I think we can really um, set that example for our children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'd also add that, you know, a desire for sweets, like you were talking about with cake and Oreos, like a desire for sweets is pleasant and and natural. And it is something that we're like, oh my gosh, like, why am I so out of control with sugar? Um, And if we do feel out of control with sugar, it might be because like we aren't eating consistently enough through the day and that our blood sugar is getting too low and it's making these cravings for sweet things um, just feel stronger than they actually need to be. Um, I think cravings for sweets are normal and I don't think we need to overthink them. I would just say like if a sleeve of Oreo is eaten and then the child feels like uncomfortably full and terrible, like that would warrant maybe another conversation, I would think. But like a sleeve of Oreos, like I'm trying to think, maybe that'd be like four servings of Oreos. I don't really think about portions, <laughs> but like that's not, I don't, I don't think that's that much. Like I, I think yeah. it's fine. I think, you know, the portion sizes aren't very helpful. I don't use them. I, I believe in intuitive eating and this, uh, like looking at nutrition labels does not need to be part of intuitive eating at all. Um, oh, wow. But I'm just thinking, okay. like, I don't think eating an entire sleeve of Oreos is that big of a deal if the kid doesn't think it's that big of a deal. Um, if they feel terrible, like, yeah, we don't want our kids to feel terrible. We want them to feel good and energized. But kids well, are I growing. remember being taught about nutrition facts. Like, I remember learning what calories were. And I just know instinctively, I can't remember the exact conversation, but I am certain it was taught to me yep. that fat was bad. Yep. That the higher the calories, the worse something was for me. Um, carbs weren't a thing in the 90s. So we weren't really talking about that yet. But like... If that conversation were to be had today, it would be. I remember asking many times, like, mommy, look, this pack of Sour Patch is fat-free, so Mm. I can eat as much of it as I want. She's like, well, it doesn't Mm. really work that way. It's like, well, why? I I couldn't understand that. But intuitively, I obviously knew that when I was going to my mom with a pack of Sour Patch that eating the whole bag wasn't good for me, but I didn't – the information that I had wasn't lining up with that. So um, I would be really curious to hear, you know, once our kids do reach the age where they're like, hey, mommy, what are these numbers on the back of what I'm eating – Um, is it kind of like with everything else? Like we don't really explain with any emotional, you know, information, just this is how like calories is how much energy your meal can take. I mean, what are some, what are some good guiding, um, guiding pieces of information, if you will, for how to, um, discuss those types of things with our kids, nutrition facts, labels, what things really are. Hmm, Interesting. That's not something I've actually really thought about because, I am so big on listening to like your body's wisdom to guide you in your eating experience rather than like an external guide. Cause I, I I think, you know, um, we, you know, before we get to the point we can read and look at nutrition labels, like we've already interacted with food so much. And Mm -hmm. I believe like we should have already gained that ability to self-regulate. And so we know like just from like, interacting with food and being able to connect to our body and listen to like, okay, is it still hungry? Um, What am I feeling? What do I need right now? 
like we can just self-regulate. So like the role that nutrition labels have, I never look at nutrition labels. I don't encourage my clients to. Um, I don't think they're very helpful. Um, I think all food is protein, carbs, and fat. And it is good to, I, I won't say good, but I think to feel full and satisfied having all three of those macronutrients, protein, carbs, and fat at meals um, is important for like satisfaction and fullness. Um, but I don't think we need to look at the nutrition label to know that. Like we know like, you know, chicken is protein. We know butter is fat. Um, and so, and we know like, you know, quinoa is carbs or whatever carb you're having. Um, I, I don't think we need to look at the nutrition labels to guide us in that. I think we can just look to our bodies. And, and this is a conversation on body trust that we could go into. And like, that is a very hard thing for people. Um, hunger is not something people are able to trust when they are hungry. They, they think it's a bad thing. And many will be annoyed by that hunger. And something that intuitive eating allows you to do is like, when you're hungry, you eat and intuitive eating builds your ability to trust your body and know that like, it's not going to deceive you. If it's asking for sugar, you can eat sugar and it's not always going to be asking for sugar. And so like, I'm more We're into, so afraid like, of what mm-hmm. we crave, like, oh my God, if you're yeah. craving this, like eat that, like, you know, <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, we're so, and you talk about this a lot on your um, blog and on Instagram, like I was craving a cupcake, so I ate one. And like, Mm -hmm. if you eat it, you probably won't crave it anymore. There's such a fear around that. And there are people who, you know, one cupcake leads to another 12. And I completely understand that. Um, And yet the majority of us can have that cupcake. And the real fear isn't that it's going to lead to another 12. It's going to make us feel like we're worthless or like we're fat or like there's something wrong with us or Um, you know, there's so much stigma around Mm. doing something as simple and joyful as eating a cupcake. Um, and I love that you really talk about, you know, embracing that part of ourselves. Like we're, we all want, we want a cupcake since we were kids. I feel like I went on the journey that you went on around, um, or that you're describing rather with nutrition facts, like almost in reverse. I learned about that. I had all the knowledge because we're born with all the knowledge. Like we know what feels good to eat. We know what our body needs. Then I kind of deprogrammed all of it, learned about the nutrition facts, got really into that, stopped trusting myself. Um, And then as I started to get more in touch with my body um, through my own emotional recovery, but also through yoga, really feeling like, what is it that I want right now? What is it that I need? I stopped looking at the nutrition facts pretty much entirely. Um, And they're just not something I think of as a guidepost for what I'm going to feed myself because we really know, like we know when we're full, we know what we need, we know when we're full. Um, and I love that that's something that you um, stress as well, that that's not really where we start. That's, we need to learn how to trust ourselves and facilitate our children ideally being able to do the same. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I believe like cravings are like itches. We scratch them, they go away. But if there is so much restriction in your life, you can feel out of control around sugar. But if you are like honoring your hunger and fullness and cravings, I, I, I don't believe in sugar addiction. I don't think it's a thing. Like in the research, it's only been studied, well, in rats, but then also in people who um, have a high level of restriction. Um, I'd love to see that study redone on like, is sugar addiction a thing in actual intuitive eaters? I volunteer myself. I'd love to do that. 
um, just to, to show like we, we don't feel we, it's not the same. Like we don't, we cannot get addicted to sugar. Um, and what you mentioned about like, you know, a person eating one cupcake, it leading to 12, like there is some deep pain going on there. If someone needs to feel the fullness of 12 cupcakes to like kind of distract away from like the, the something else, there's something they don't want to feel if they'd rather feel fullness than, than that sensation. Um, so what you're saying, like, is in that case, we're kind of addressing the food issue. Like how can we stop eating the 12 cupcakes? But really it's probably an underlying emotional, that's your consensus that it's more of an yeah. underlying emotional reason. Yeah. What you're, yes. What you're saying about emotional work and therapy. I, I think that person like would need some support to figure out like why, it feels safe to make their body that uncomfortable. Um, and it, it might just be restriction, but I, I'd say like that level of extreme eating, it, it's usually some kind of trauma the person's been through. Well, I do like appreciate, I think the focus in our culture is if somebody is eating that amount of food, it's like, okay, what diet can you go on to stop that behavior? Mm-hmm. But there's mm-hmm. no, like, why are you doing that in the first place? And focusing on like the inside instead of the outside, because we create such an emphasis on what we end up looking like. But I know plenty of people who actually eat very well and take care of themselves and they're larger than what we consider healthy. Um, It's not about that. It's about um, really looking at, okay, why do I feel like I need this right now? And allowing ourselves, asking those types of questions. So anyway, I'm just so, I'm so grateful for your insight. And as, especially as a parent, um, to, to have someone out there that I can follow on Instagram who um, really leaves rigidity behind and it encourages us to really embrace what we want and um, how we feel and give our kids that same gift. So I'm just, I'm grateful for you, Kylie, and for everything you do. And if anyone wants to learn more about you, um, they can follow you on Instagram at that. So it's I-M-M-A-E-A-T-T-H-A-T. Um, and your website is imeatthat.com. Uh, and they can go there to learn more about your um, services in your private practice as well. Is that correct? Yep, that's all correct. Wonderful. And thank you again, Kylie. Loved having you on the show today. Thanks, Laura. This was super fun. I'm your host, Laura Max Rose. Thank you again for joining us. I look forward to joining you again next time. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Look Ma No Hands. I'm Laura Max Rose, and you can follow me on Instagram at Laura Max Rose to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and the behind the scenes of my life with my own two daughters. If you like this episode and are enjoying Look Ma No Hands, the best way you can help me spread the word is to leave a review on Apple Podcast. This is the single best way to help me reach a larger audience and share these conversations with everyone who needs to hear them. If you love something you just heard, you can also take a screenshot of the episode and share it on social media. There might be someone you know who needs to hear what you just heard, and that's another great way to make sure they do. Thank you for joining me every week. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. More next time.